HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's April 23rd, 2013. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. I'm out here at Roberta's in Bushwick hanging out with the guys from the NRDC. There's going to be a farm-to-table dinner tonight at Roberta's. We've got Kelly Taylor from Kelso and, and Heartland Brewing in New York who's going to be doing uh, some cool beer, beer tastings tonight. Jen Grossman from the NRDC, which she'll tell you what that means. And our favorite farm inspector, June Russell, <laughs> from Green Market Grow NYC, who we're going to talk to first. Welcome to the show. First, thanks to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. Tonight's show is all about beer. You want to learn, learn more about beer, go to GreatBrewers.com. It, give you an update on my status and why I'm slurring is that all weekend I wasn't drinking beer. I was, I was running the New York City Hot Sauce Expo, and it was really great. But I have to tell you, tonight I'm going to hang out here at Roberta's and drink a lot of beer. Right now I'm drinking uh, Peakskill, the Easter Standard IPA. Our good buddy uh, Jeff O'Neill is up in Peakskill. Their new brewery is up and running. And soon I'll be drinking some uh, Kelso beers with, with Kelly Taylor. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Let's raise our glasses. Kelly, Jen, and June. So, June, Sorry. you're the big story today. Uh, you're the the green market inspector. People fear you. you. You go to every damn town in New York and make sure their their chickens are their chickens. But but what's this grain thing? Like it, it, you you put together this awesome video uh, called the the local grain renaissance. And I was looking at it this afternoon. You've got brewers like Kelly Taylor, malt, our malt friends like and, Andrew and Christian Stanley at Valley Malt in Massachusetts, and and some other guys. Tell us what's going on with New York State Grains, because it's kind of like the local food farm-to-table beer show tonight. Sure. Well, um, thanks, Jimmy, for all the compliments. Um, This is part of our regional grains project at Green Market that spans back many years now, original conversations going back to probably 2002, trying to source local grain for our bakers. And in sort of evolving those conversations and scaling up a grains uh, system and infrastructure, there's all sorts of opportunities to add value to grains that we can grow in the region and all kinds of grains that we could have in the region. So um, when we 
in the course of doing this work, we started out with our bakers, but quickly realized that, you know, looking for end users who could support our grain growers, that would include uh, distilleries and ultimately um, those who make beer once we have malting facilities. So once we had Valley Malt come onto the scene a couple years ago, that has really opened up some possibilities for us. And it's a big one if we can replicate malting facilities around the region will open up huge markets for our grain growers. So we're pretty excited to have Kelly working with uh, the grains that are coming out of Valley Malt and slowly getting uh, those grains into the marketplace where our customers and consumers can access them. So the, the video you made, it's called The Local Grain Renaissance. Where can people see that video? Because it's really worth watching. Thank you. It's, uh, it's on our website, growingwayc.org, and we have a Vimeo channel, Vimo channel. Um, and if you pull that up, it's you'll see it. It's Local Grains Renaissance. And it's part one. We have part two. Uh, part one is on processing enterprises, and the second piece will be on baking with local flour. So one thing I saw in the video, first of all, Grow NYC and the green markets, that's really the definitive green markets in the country. You guys have almost 60 markets just in New York City alone, and you're out there sourcing from how many states? And how well, far away from New York City? And, well, the farthest is, I think the... The farthest farm in the region is really Red Jacket up at the top of uh, Seneca Lake in Geneva, New York. Um, we do have one. We have maple syrup coming from the Northeast Kingdom in Vermont, and I think they're technically the farthest, but that's just outside of our region at this point. But we get eastern Pennsylvania, all of New Jersey, eastern Pennsylvania, um, out to the Susquehanna River, uh, New York up to the Finger Lakes, some of Massachusetts, Vermont, Connecticut, um, and New York State out to Long Island. Our fishermen are coming from um, Montauk and and uh, blinking on the port. But um, yep. So so for grain, I mean, I know grain's a building block of so many things. In your video, they're they're at Italy. They're using your grain for bread. People can make pasta, and beer's a beer's a big one. You know, it's the building block of beer. Uh, can they grow any type of grain in the Northeast? Are there certain grains you guys are targeting? Tell us about the, the plan and how it relates to, to beer. Sure. Well, I'm the, the marketplace really drives the innovation, first of all. So having you know, our, our consumers interested in buying local is really helping to give liftoff. And what that does is that that gives farmers confidence to plant a crop that they know that they can sell. And that gives uh, potential entrepreneurs, like Jennifer, um, the confidence to take on an enterprise and go into a business that can process agricultural products um, to get them to, and, and use it like Kelly, to make into beer because you can't take raw barley. I mean, you could. You could probably explain that process, but um, it needs to be malted. So some of these uh, facilities we need to come back to the region, um, they've been gone for over 100 years. We've had no malting facilities in the Northeast for over 100 years. So part of building the market for these and educating the consumer is helping to drive the market for that. And once you have that, you know, we've seen really rapid growth just in three years. Um, there was very little barley being grown three years ago. And now there was a workshop just, what, two months ago mm -hmm. on growing barley, and we have, you know, the, the it's easy to double nothing, you know. We, so our increases are, are are huge in terms of the volume of grains now. So, Jen, you're, you're, you helped set up this uh, dinner tonight at Roberta's, the NRDC. Tell us about NRDC, and then tell us about the ideas you have for uh, malt and setting up a malt facility in New York. Sure, sure. So NRDC is the Natural Resources Defense Council. 
uh, really identified as sort of the attorney for the earth, you know, the, the legal force behind preserving a very critical and, as we know, finite natural resource base. Um, typically, NRDC's MO... It's kind of serious. It uh, is. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's important stuff. It's, you know, no longer it's an if, it's a when. We have some really um, serious degradation of our natural resource um, you know, effects that we're experiencing now. So, so now is the time to create solutions. And that's really one thing that NRDC is really capable of doing, both from a top-down approach and a bottom-up. Top-down is typically how they've operated, advocacy, litigation, legislation on lots of important issues, renewable energy, energy efficiency, uh, point source pollution, uh, pesticides, this is a really unique opportunity that we have now when it comes to regional local food. For the first time ever, NRDC is taking the lead in a bottom-up approach, working deep down with communities to understand what their agricultural heritage is, what the capacity is currently of the landscape, and how to fit into an unmet demand for local food at a variety of levels. And whether it's a food product that is direct to consumer or it's a, an ingredient that is used in a processing component, there's a great opportunity to, to restore sort of this legacy of agricultural heritage that has a respect for the natural resource base, but also is a real economic driver for the community. I, I went to the site today, and, and there's a big thing, clean water, great beer. Yeah. So that, is that one of the initiatives now? Exactly. As we all know, and most of you know much better than I, the number one ingredient in beer is water. So, you know, New York State is blessed by the largest public unfiltered water supply in the world. The Catskill Watershed services more than 10 million people with fresh water. And that's an incredible opportunity, not only to protect and preserve that, but to teach folks on in other communities on how we can preserve On that note, resources. I went to the site earlier. What is the NRDC site? Uh, the NRDC site is nrdc.org. Wow, that's um, so easy. It is. And it's particularly called Brewers for Clean Water. So I looked at the pledge. So it's called Clean Water Pledge, and some breweries signed up. Most of them are from the Midwest, and I have a theory about that. It was Allagash, Arcadia, Founders, uh, Half Acre in Chicago, even Sierra Nevada, Shorts, Wild Onion, and, and many of these are from Illinois and Michigan. And my good friend Lucy Saunders, and she's listening tonight, she teaches at the Siebel Institute in Chicago. She's an author. Uh, she organizes every year the Great Lakes Water Conference, and it's mostly brewers that attend. So I have a feeling that, that this overlaps, but I think that in the Midwest with the Great Lakes Water Conference, the brewers there are really attuned to the water issues. And I don't think we haven't really talked about that as much in, in New York. I'm not sure why. Yeah, and, you know, maybe, unfortunately, it's the blessing of having an abundance of water. We don't know water stress in the Northeast like other parts of the country have experienced. And we've seen that with, and we'll see it, with corn prices going up. And that will result in milk prices going up and other dairy products. So there's, there's something that we haven't yet experienced here, but there's a very uh, focused acuity of the brewers that are creating new businesses here on the natural resource capacity of the Northeast, particularly New York. So NRDC's focus with its food shed initiative is really to scale up existing local farmers, create new farmers that can come in and provide essentially, again, this unmet demand for local ingredients and local food. And now let's talk to Kelly. Kelly Taylor, you're probably one of the most accomplished brewers in the whole New York region because you're making, you can tell us the truth, you're Kelso Brewing, but you're, you're the head brewer for Heartland Brewery. 
So how many how many actual brewery labels are, are you making the beer for? Well, we're, we're producing beer for uh, five different breweries right now, and we're doing about eighteen to twenty thousand barrels worth of beer a year right here in Brooklyn. Um, so it's uh, we're, over the course of the year, we're doing about sixty different kinds of beer, which is a lot. <laughs> and then, and the group you're part of, they've opened up House House and Hall downtown. Sure, yeah, that's a partnership with the Heartland Brewery. And I went yeah. to lunch here last week, and I was really impressed. There were all these little individual beers. So who, who who's making those beers? Well, uh, those beers are all uh, contracted from our facility. So it's basically, uh, it's just it's my brewers. Uh, they asked me uh, this this corporation asked me to brew the beer for them, and I delegated it to my my so brewers each and, brewer and made their three, own beer. each each brewer made their own beer in some cases it doubles up because there's 10 beers on down there but uh in many cases down there we're we're doing all uh, r&d stuff so we're we're bringing in hops that we've never used before and malts that we've never used before and just doing a random beer with them and putting them on tap and going down tasting it seeing how it goes seeing what the general public's reception of that hop is and of that malt and i was just actually talking to andrea up at valley uh yesterday about uh, getting some whatever grain that she's got that's coming out that is interesting or not interesting, just standard pale ale malt from Andrea, and just putting it in and, and putting it on down there and doing a, a single malt varietal and a single hop varietal and using it as an R&D center for us but also as a business center for her and as, a, as kind of a showcase for what local ingredients can do unhindered because that place is really doing – uh, a tremendous amount of beer on a weekly basis, and it was a great opportunity for us to to just use it as a great big R and D lab. And then for you, like, let's bring in what you're doing with local grains. And do you have anything to say about water? I mean, well, uh, well there, yeah, you know, we that's <laughs> that's really a, a whole different show. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm going to try to edit myself, but uh, you know, coming from the Pacific North, Northwest originally, and then I went to college in San Diego, two entirely different water. Uh, communities and uh, New York City is one of the most remarkable watershed regions in the world as Jennifer was saying 10 million people (laughs) 10 million people rely on this water source and it's it's very much taken for granted so uh, it's funny because I've been a a supporter of the NRDC for many many years and I didn't even know there was this this program so uh, I think that's I think you hit it on the head Jimmy that that the brewers in the Midwest were part of a, a conference, and they heard about it, and they signed up. And I, I am 99.9% confident that brewers in the Northeast hear about it. They're going to sign up because every brewer, not just me, but I just happen to have a microphone in front of me, every brewer cares about and is passionate about the water supply, the malt supply, the hop supply, because that is that is beer, water, malt, hops, and yeast. You can grow your own yeast. It's pretty straightforward. But um, these, these other things are... Uh, are, are intrinsic to to brewers. Brewers love uh, using local products because local products are, uh, first of all, fresher by definition. Fresher means more layers, more interesting, more more character to them. And you're dealing with the person who's growing it or supplying it. And so there's a certain degree of integrity involved in that in that interpersonal relationship that you're not going to get by ordering a malt or a hop from a catalog. And that integrity oddly enough, finds its way into the finished product. And when you taste it, like this beer here, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass around here. Wait, see if I can get this. Here. <laughs> yeah, there oh, we go. Great. <laughs> what a great sound. Yeah. I, I would like some of that, Kelly. <laughs> you, want, you want some of this? Now, this is... June, June do you like beer? Uh, I, beer's okay with me, yeah. I like beer. <laughs> <laughs> She's okay. She, June's okay with... This is actually what the grains work is about. So, so thanks for the question, Jimmy. This, this is a, uh, a Rauch beer that we made... <laughs> 
<laughs> with, uh, with with malt from. Did you get some? Oh yeah, oh, it's got nice. one more over here. A little okay. smoky. Yeah. So so this is a this is a malt that this is a, a beer that I made with malt from Valley Malt, mm. and uh, I, I asked Andrea if I could if I could get some of this uh, triticale, which is a uh, hybrid wheat uh, rye malt, and. Uh, she she was very uh, big into getting this malt into the market, which is it was a malt that I'd never heard of, and I've been brewing for twenty years, and I've never heard of triticale before. And she said, "Oh, it's nice. It's got the soft earthiness of a wheat, but the spiciness of a rye. Great, I'll try that." So this is that interpersonal relationship dealing with the maltster, you know, not a catalog. And and she says, "How about? Do you mind if we smoke it?" And I said, "I don't care what you do with it, Andrea. Just as long as I can get some." And she goes, "No, no, we we have the room just picked up. <laughs> yeah, smoke yeah no. Uh, my dad has a bunch. The maltster said this. My dad has a bunch of cherry wood that he uh, harvested, and we want to try smoking grain. We've never done that before, so we we want to smoke it over this cherry wood that my dad chopped down. And I said, "Well, giddy up. <laughs> yeah, how much can how much can you give me?" And she's like, "I got this much grain." Uh, I said. Great, send it to me. Uh, awesome beer, and uh, it is. let's just raise our glasses. The Ralph beer from Kelso. Hey, we're gonna take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heart on the Line by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network.org is a member supported nonprofit organization. If you like what you're listening to, go to our website and click that donate button. Become a member and get special discounts, invites, VIP treatment, t shirts, and more. Support us in our mission to bring you the freshest food content in the nation. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We have a great show today. But what's coming up on Saturday? The Abruzzese, like outdoor barbecue. Mark Ladner, that famous chef from Lupa, and then Del Posto, he's doing a special uh, members and fundraiser event for Heritage Radio Network. So go to heritageradionetwork.org and find out what's happening every month. There's some awesome events. Uh, Heritage Radio Network, you should be a member. It's not that expensive. But these are events. So if you're, I think if you're a member, you actually get to go to the event. So I'll be there Saturday. And, and the secret is that my grandmother was from Abruzzo in Italy. So the Abruzzo-style barbecue. Okay. Those are my people. You know. <laughs> you know. I don't know if they make beer. Anyways, we got this. Kelly is talking about you know what he does with local grain, and he's like, you just, I was just getting rolling, and we had to cut him off. But Kelly, you're, you're back. Oh well, yeah. You're well, here. now I've lost the train of thought. But you know, basically, local grains, Andreas, Stanley, yeah. Valley Mall. Well, you know, it's nice to be able to de- to deal with that, but uh, to deal with people that are that are uh, making grain and malt locally because you have that uh, interpersonal communication and and the integrity that goes along with it. But um, I think one of the things. 
we uh, believe it or not, we had a lot of powwows about uh, <clears throat> about what we talked about on this show. And here, wait, oh, you want a beer? Hold on. I want more of your rock beer, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, and part one of the things was we're trying to keep it, try to keep it current, and try to keep keep it keep it concise. What we're supposed to talk about. That, that just is such good beer. <laughs> there we go. The local smoked malt. I, I didn't even know that Valley Malt was making smoked malt. Let's let's talk they, about. They don't. That. I buy it all. We're talking about <laughs> uh, you know growing local grain and having the facilities to turn it into well, things but here, like here's the, here, bread and malt for beer. But but how do you let's just go basics? How, how do you make smoked malt? Well, you you you, you take the grain and normally you you take the grain and you you soak it and let it sprout. Right, so it looks like you put it in a big room about knee high. It, probably in Andrew's facilities, about knee high, and and you let the grain sprout. If it gets a little wet, it starts to grow like any seed. And then they take it out and they dry it in a kiln. Well, they've got a place where they take it out and they dry it over wood, the wood that's burning, as opposed to just like a, a nice clean heat from but, a I mean, kiln. Does that mean there's just like s- smoke around it, and the smoke gets into? Yeah, the well, malt? there's a lot of different ways to do it, but it's like smoking meat. You know, you can do a direct smoke, you can do an indirect where it's kind of blowing in. Uh, theirs is more of a direct system, I believe. So, so you get first of all, the direct system has got a little bit more variance to it. Um, so one batch from another has got a, a different smoke character, which Andrea and I have talked about. And every time I do this beer, I do it the exact same way and let this different smoke character come out in it. So every batch is so a little e- bit different. So each time her, her batch, the smoke is different. Yeah. Well, and she doesn't do a lot of smoking. So could be- I just, like, get a grill and set up a little smoker and smoke malt like that? You, you could. And actually, uh, you know, Chris Kuzme at 508 Gastro Brewery, right? Uh, we're going to be – he's part of the New York City Brewers Guild um, that I'm, I'm part of. And we're going to do a meeting up at my house up north uh, this summer, and he's going to bring a small batch of grain up, and we're going to smoke it over the barbecue and then – do a Brewer's Guild beer. So it, it could be that simple. <laughs> it could be that simple. I mean, obviously, if you want to reproduce it and do it on a commercial basis, you need to have a little bit more uh, consistency behind it. But So uh, since we're talking smoke beer, I'm going to bring in – we've got uh, one of the classic smoke beers, the Schlenkerla you from Bamberg. A, you brought an import. Well, I, I brought it for a reason because they've got a, a culture hope so. <laughs> of, of local grains, right? A lot of malts come from Bamberg. It is their culture. And the right. smoke, yeah. sm- a lot of the smoke malts. But I think they actually smoke the malts in their facility. So how, how is that different from what you're talking about? Do you know what they do at Edgelankola? Well, uh, this this beer is using the, obviously the wood is smoked the, the malt is smoked with a different wood. And it's a much larger uh, facility, so it's a much more controlled smoke that they're doing. So they've got a smokehouse that they can layer the they can layer the malt out. The, the key is is smoke contact with the with each kernel of grain. So you need a bigger surface area to lay the malt out on, a larger facility, and a much more controlled uh, smoke environment. So, so this, this is my take on it. What you're doing is, is like this subtle smokiness that can add flavor to beer. Like maybe you put less hops in and instead you're using the smoked malt. Is right. That yeah, yeah we don't use a lot of hops in this one. Yeah, it's but with like Schlenkler, it's like it's smoked. It, it, it kind of tastes like bacon. So it's like it's, it's like it's the heavily, extreme smoke. It's, it's heavily yeah. smoked, yeah. Um, you know, part part of what we're doing is we're most of what we do with Kelso is we're trying to make the, make it more nuanced. Even our, even our Pilsner has got a little bit less hop character, but more malt character. So it's got more texture and layer to it. And uh, this is the second time I've had the Schlenkelara this week. Oddly enough, Sonia brought some home the other day, <laughs> and uh, I I think that our our smoked beer is, has got more texture to it. This is just 
bacony. This 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 the Schlenker Lodge just tastes phenolic, smoky. It's just very strong. It doesn't have any succulence to it. It, it doesn't have any doesn't have any backbone. It's like all or nothing. It's all yeah. or nothing. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that the the malt that we're using is just this random small batch, interesting eclectic thing that you really can't get very far get get very uh, very far reaching and it's and it comes across in the beer. And 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 the key with this discussion is really building an economy. Yeah. Rebuilding an economy. Or it used to be an agricultural based economy and we've gotten away from from that, and in many cases, agriculture is viewed at slightly derisively. And and when you drink beers that are made with local grains and local hops, and you and you and you interact with your farmers, it is an amazing end product that I'm really happy to be part of creating, and I'm really happy to promote. It's, I mean, many it's years small ago, small batches. It's interesting. Yeah, many years ago, when I brewed at Heartland at Union Square, we used to interact with the farmers out front quite a bit. And Don Lewis used to come in and say, hey, you, should, you should make beer with the malt that I'm growing. And he used to bring in bags of, of malt that he'd made. <laughs> it, was just, it was just a mess. I mean, it was, just, none of, it was partially modified, and there was husk material and stems. And it was just like, it was like Don, you wouldn't use this in your bread. And, and, it, and it wasn't great, but he was so enthusiastic about it. I tried it a few times, and the, the end product uh, was a little harsh because it wasn't a cleaned, uh, uh, accessible malt but now we've got things like valley malt and uh what, what's the name of the malt house you're building Jeff? we're looking at the catskill malting company oh it's very original but yeah. the, i'm sure <laughs> that'll, that'll work out really well i yeah, mean because yeah. people people will identify with that nobody knows where valley malting is yeah you know, let's just you say but I, I again i just visited andrea this weekend what a fantastic operation i mean not only is she individually a powerhouse she just She's committed to a mission, which is just so important, about sustainable agriculture. She's supporting her local farmers. What she is doing is also preserving lands, preserving water quality. And as you just mentioned, it's economics. This is creating jobs. It's keeping jobs in the community because when you spend a dollar on a farm, it turns over three times in that community. So you talk about green jobs. These are the best green jobs out there. And and June, you mentioned before, there yeah, hasn't not, been a multi talking, in 100 years. We're not yeah, talking solar area. panels. We're talking farms. Exactly. Grow yeah. food. Exactly. And, and the other thing of oh, this, like, you know, listening to you be so enthusiastic about the grains that you're using and talking about triticale and, um, is that, you know, ultimately these come down to a long-term vision of sustainability because by having markets for these grains, we're encouraging our growers to work grains back into their rotations. And that's something that's been missing, you know, for at least 50 years. And so, you know, yeah, from, you know, helping to you being a buyer for these malts is helping that facility get off the ground. And then, you know, other folks seeing that it's successful, see that that's a good bet to replicate that model somewhere else. And then that continues to drive, um, you know, more farmers towards production of grains and a diversity of grains, you know, with, you know, triticale is one. We've, there's lots of rye going back into production now, which also wasn't happening three years ago. Um, barley, I'm still looking for an emmer beer someday. Right, I was going to say, you, you, you tried to get me to get some emmer and, and uh, asked Andrea to look for it, and she couldn't find anybody that was producing emmer well, in a reasonable quantity. Oh, we'll have it. It'll, it'll, it'll be <laughs> yeah, here. So. It was, I think it was the time of the year and the timing because we were trying sure. to get some for an event, but at some point that will happen. And that's going to be, I th- you know, it's, it's going to be a really important grain uh, going forward because it's... Because it's uh, like the original grain, it's basically. It's almost einkorn is like the mother grain and ah. then emmer came and then the wheats 
derived off of those. I, I want to do a beer called the Mother Beer. <laughs> I, think. I, like that, I think we could tie that together. Well, we've had, we've had <laughs> we can get beers, that. We can make that happen. Beers. I'll get you some Einkorn, definitely. Okay. Mother Beer. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll work. Um, but yeah, all these things are like, you know, we're we're recreating this infrastructure and everybody's on this learning curve from our growers who are having to learn how to uh, grow these grains and, uh, you know, get the equipment that we've got distro- tossed out or destroyed. Or, you know, most of our folks are finding stuff in old barns and pulling them out and they're like, oh, I found a grain cleaner. and um, <laughs> It found a grain cleaner. Yeah, pretty much. It's <laughs> like we awesome. dusted it off. So, and we, so we I saw your video. Day. So you're saying that we had these systems in place and then they kind of went, went somewhere else. Well, yeah, like all of our food system, it became very efficient and centralized. So, you know, how many malting facilities are there in the country? Maybe two, and they're owned by the big guys? Right. Um, yeah, two or three. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that, that was what, you know, big agribusiness corporate concepts did to small-scale agriculture. In the 1950s, when petroleum became a huge additive into the system, whether it was the production or transportation of food, it completely dismantled regional infrastructure and small-scale family farms. So in New York State, for example, we've got 36,000 farms in New York State. 99.9% of them are family-owned and operated. These are small-scale operations. They're 200 acres on average, which is half of the national average. But these are folks that can benefit tremendously from either an ancillary or supplemental crop of some wheat and grains and hops and barley, or, hey, let's start up some new farms and have a few hundred acres of this. I mean, and in addition to the fact you've got the New York State legislature and a governor who's very focused on home brew distilleries and home breweries and, and, and home sourcing in terms of keeping dollars in New York State. So there's tax incentives, there's small business exemptions, there's requirements for using local Local ingredients. It's the perfect storm of saying, let's bring back the integrity of a legacy of tradition that res- that respects the land base, that creates a, a valuable product that has, again, an unmet demand. So let's ask, what grain should we grow in New York State and the Northeast? We can grow. We can grow a lot of grains. I mean, the tough one is actually the hard wheats for bread. You know, that's where you get into the, you know, issues of, you know, gluten content and how they're going to perform. Oh, that's bread. That's a trickier one. We need flatbread. My it bread is It doesn't beer. need to rise. <laughs> uh, most of the world eats flatbread. Um, but uh, we're, you know, uh, we have varieties that, you know, this work has been going on for many years now. And the researchers we work with have been working with varieties that year by year adapt to the conditions here. So, um, you know, we're getting some decent hard wheats. Uh, we have rye. I mean, the, so, the Let's interest- talk about rye. So a lot of people want to make rye beers. Is rye a good, a good grain to grow in the Northeast? Rye is a spectacular grain. I mean, it's scrappy as all hell. It will grow anywhere. Okay, so Kelly, what about making beer with rye? Because we want to have a, a Northeast local economy growing rye. Can we make rye beer? I like rye beer. Certainly. You know, I don't, I don't think I've had... I mean, most of the times when you have when you have a rye beer, it's usually twenty five percent rye, maybe thirty five percent rye, certain percentage of wheat, a little bit of barley. So I'm not sure. I've never done a hundred percent rye beer. Be willing to do that and throw it on at that restaurant. We'll give it a shot. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not. I'm not sure how how that'll work, but I'm I'm willing to give it a shot. All right, cool. Hey, we're taking a short break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to someone from Omegang Brewery. We're going to talk to a dude who's opening a distillery upstate with local grains. And the NRDC dinner is here tonight at Roberta's in the backyard. we got 
Kelly Taylor, what you're doing some some beers there tonight? Yeah, we're bringing the Rock beer. We're going to be doing a beer and wine and cheese uh, uh, pairing with our good friend Ann Sasabuse here and and Jen Grossman, NRDC, whatever that is. (laughs) You're here today, and June, are you going to are you going to speak at the dinner tonight? We're just hanging out. I'm hanging out. She's hanging out. <laughs> yeah, this is the place. Come to Rivers of Brooklyn Heritage Radio Network. If you're a member, you can get invited to special things like the Abruzzi's Barbecue Dinner with Mark Ladner. All right. Hey, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Okay. This one's called Someone Like You by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Well, we're we're going to have, guys, we're going to have a... Um, can I have more of the rock? We're going to have a, a calling guest. Okay, let's come back, come back. Hey, hey. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Are we back, Joe? All right, here we are. Okay. All right, cool. <laughs> We're having too much fun. We're drinking local beers. Uh, Kelly from Kelso, is, we did the Ralph beer, and then we've got the, Is it the chocolate lager next, Kelly? Uh, that's the nut brown lager. The nut brown lager, sorry. But you, you, you've always uh, made some great beers. But the Ralph beer is really rocking me, man. It's made with uh, some local smoke malt from uh, Valley Malt. Valley Malt, yeah. It's in, got it. it's uh, Massachusetts. Got Nice cherry wood. Hadley, uh, Massachusetts. Great we just spot. we just crossed that line where we've had a bunch of beers and now we're kind of like, oh yeah, what's the point? It's the NRDC dinner. It's serious. We've got clean water makes good beer. We've got local grain. June Russell, Jen Grossman, Kelly Taylor. All right, and um, talking about local beer and involvement in things like uh, clean water, uh, buying locally, and all that. We've got a uh, uh, Kate Stamps. She's representing Omegang which is one of our, our great New York State breweries, and she's on the air. Kate, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, you're, you kind of jumped on a show where we're really talking about things local. Uh, we've got people talking about we need some more malt facilities in New York State. We're trying to make some small batch beer with local grains. Uh, what's going on at Omegang these days? Well, we're just trying to keep up with production, which is a good problem to have. Um, actually, tonight I'm in Philadelphia because we are hosting a hop chef competition here. You know a little bit about that. You were a judge for us last year. It was really awesome. So you, you go to different cities. What, where are you going this year? D.C.? Philly? No, we're doing no? Philadelphia and then Boston, Chicago, Albany, and then back to the final cook-off at BCTC again. So t- tell us about the hop chefs competition because it's really a great it's, – it's, it's cooking with beer – and using some of the Omegang beers in their dishes. It's a really great competition. And, and every year you have the uh, Belgian Clubs of Cooperstown event. And uh, it was really awesome. You had the, the winners from all the different cities there. Really great, really great experience. Yes, for sure. Um, in essence, just to give you a little bit of it, again, you, you know more. You've been there firsthand. But we work with local celebrity chefs in each of these cities and try to really let their creative geniuses shine by creating a signature dish that's paired with one of our beers. Um, they often use lots of other pairing principles that are fun, such as storytelling, incorporation, et cetera. And this year, 
they're actually drawing a beer out of a hat, and that's the beer that they have to use. So we're asking a little bit more of them in that they're, we're putting that parameter out there, and then they're creating some really fun and unique stuff around it. That's awesome. I know that you guys, we're going to jump off of Hop Chefs because Hop Chefs is an awesome experience and everyone should check it out. Where can we find out more about Hop Chefs? Uh, what's the Oma Game website? Well, I would direct you to our Great Beer Deserves Great Food blog. Um, that really has everything that you could want and more on it, which is, in essence, our um, initiative that supports all of our food events. So if you just Google Great Beer Deserves Great Food Oma Gang, it'll lead you right there. All right. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions because we're really talking more about local grains and water. And Absolutely. Things. I know that you guys at Oma Gang are really behind you know, the importance of keeping the area pure and clean and local water as an anti-fracking and all that. Um, we're talking with uh, June Russell, who's an inspector. Fracking, boo, fracking. boo, fracking. <laughs> this is the yes to fracking. Oh, yeah. this, is a, no. this is a this serious is a yes. show today. So, yes. Um, do you want to say a few things about Oma Gang's position on uh, you know, things like clean water and well, I mean, it's obviously something that's very important to us as a brewery, but it's also something that's very important to us as a community and part of the Cooperstown community, part of the bigger uh, community of the state of New York, expanded all the way out to the U.S. And um, we're we're pretty intimately involved in the anti-fracking campaign, uh, pretty much in every way that, that we can be. And Larry Bennett, our uh, PR genius, has really gotten us involved in some spectacular ways and we do everything in our power to really try to put an end to that locally and, and elsewhere as well all right well you got um, june russell is uh, the inspector from green markets in new york and um she's in probably most of the towns in the region checking out different farms all the time and you guys are in cooperstown are there any farms in cooperstown that you you've been to yeah there's some uh farms just north of there um, there's a couple of Pauls up there. He's relocated. Our friend Pauls in West yeah. Winfield, yeah. Exactly, and so is Jim Grillo. He's just north of there. We stopped in at Oma Gang the last time we went to see both those guys. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of things going. On. I mean, it's funny because um, you know where you are in Cooperstown, around you, West Winfield. There's so many towns that, that were really old school farming areas, um, and it seemed like it, there hasn't been a lot going on there for a while. But it seems like it's coming back. Sure, and a lot of potential for growing grain, definitely. There's um, still some dairy farms up there, and wasn't uh, I, wasn't Oma Gang? It used to be a big hop farm, wasn't that location? Yeah, exactly. Actually, it's kind of breaking news that we're starting to, uh, in the near future, get back into that just a little bit. But historically speaking, it had a really strong tie, and like right now, talking about the farms in the surrounding area. We take all of our spent grain, and the farmers from the local community come and pick it up and feed it to their animals. So it's nice because we have connections to a lot of them through that outlet. That's awesome. Jen, uh, Jen's from the NRDC. She's here today. We're doing a special dinner in, uh, at Roberta's in, in Brooklyn. Um, you want to ask Kate any questions? Because yeah. she's up there. She's in the heartland. I mean, we talk. This is one thing that's great about what Omegang is. We actually talk about agriculture in New York and, and local beer and stuff. I mean, there's a brewery in Cooperstown that's in the middle of everything, whether it's clean water or growing hops or anything. They're there. Yeah, and, and you know, it's an identification that 
This is not only a watershed, the entire area. We've talked about the value of clean water, the proximity of it to New York City, and the, the uniqueness of it as not being filtered. But it's a food shed. The same land that supports the infrastructure for a unfiltered water supply is an amazing capacity to grow food and to grow ingredients. And, and again, I don't have to tell you this, but you know, New York State was the largest hops producer in the country 100 years ago. So right. that yep. means we right we have the soil quality, then the capacity, the topography to really reinvigorate something. It's not recreating the wheel. It's going back to what worked before. And it, it, it's up to us to innovate ways to take what we know we can do naturally and put it into a product that not only, again, enhances the natural resource base, but creates a viable economic opportunity for small-scale farms, for new farmers, for tra- transitioning farmers. And I think that's one of the biggest jumps that we need to make is an understanding that agriculture is truly an economic venture for New York State. And the only way to do that, or the best way to do that, is through value-added products like beer. Jen, you're a good talker. <laughs> and you know, we've... we've uh, I like to talk. <laughs> I'll tell you this, if, if you go up, if you do go upstate, Cooperstown, they have the Farm Museum. Um, they still have, uh, they grow hops there, and you can learn about how they used to... It, it, I think the Anheuser-Busch family owned a lot of property in that area. And it was one of the top hop-growing areas in the, in the country for a long time. A lot of good stories, Kate. Kate, go back to Hop Chef. So you're going to be in what? Philadelphia, Boston, Chicago. Philadelphia, Boston, Chicago, Albany this year before the cook-offs at BCTC, which are that first weekend in August. And then um, we'll see where we go the last of the year. But right now um, our thoughts are aligned with Austin, San Francisco. Um, that'll, of course, be kicking off kind of uh, the next year of Hop Chef because we culminate in August. So it's always, you know, it's not on a yearly calendar. So I, I judged it last year. The fi- I judged the finals in Cooperstown. You guys don't know that, but I'm the secret judge. But, um, not anymore. So what, what, do you, what do you look for when, when you pick? You obviously go out and pick certain chefs. I mean, are these chefs that are already cooking with beer or are you trying to turn new people on to cooking with beer? Because it's pretty cool, this Hop Chefs program. Well, we do a little bit of all of the above. Um, we certainly support some of our, our chefs that are tried and true Oma Gang lovers. We really try to reach out to people that are using their creative genius in ways that don't yet include Oma Gang, so as to turn them on. And then we're also trying to work with chefs that embody uh, what we believe in and our cultures, which is everything that we're talking about here on the show today. So a lot of our chefs... Um, you know, very much support farm-to-table in their own restaurants. So though right now um, the Hop Chef parameters aren't focused around, like in the future we really hope to be able to use local meat sources, butchers, dairy, etc. That's where we want to go. Um, but right now we're reaching out to chefs who are already doing that in their own restaurants. That's great. That's a great approach, and you're doing a great thing. We will talk to you more before uh, BCTC. We love going up there. It's the first weekend of August this year, right? Yes, it yeah. is. We'll be up there, and, and anyone. And when do tickets go on sale? Because it's really the best beer event in America. Oh well, this is going to bring tears to your eyes, but it's our, it already went on sale, and it's already sold out. It sold out in a, a number of seconds for the VIP tickets, and um, within a number of short hours for the whole. The whole BCTC experience, but uh, next year, perhaps, I would tell everyone April 1st, uh, make sure that you're tuned to your computer and 
try to get tickets. It's a great experience. Well, that's awesome. Kate, thanks for coming on. Listen in because oh, we've got a couple. We've got some cool things going on here in New York State. Uh, my good buddy, uh, Mike Kenslick, who just walked in, uh, he's opening a distillery in New Paltz, near New Paltz, New York. He's going to buy only local grains. Mike, it's so fortuitous. Those are the big words I like to use. Fortuitous that you came on the show today. No, Tell us to what's going on and, and what farmers are you going to buy from. So um, first, I, I guess I want to uh, second what June and, and Jennifer have been saying about um, using uh, uh, local grains and supporting local communities and, and bringing value-added production into local communities and preserving jobs and building economic vi- vitality in local communities. Uh, New York State has been uh, really at the forefront of doing that in the distilling community with the passage of the 2007 Farm Distilling Act. Um, we registered as a farm distillery a couple years ago. We're going to be releasing our first products uh, in a few short weeks. And uh, we're using all local grains. We have contracted with several local farmers to grow grains specifically for us, and that's been very exciting. So places like Leonard Tantillo's Farm and Gardner, uh, Blooming Hills Farm, uh, a little down the road from us, is growing some barley for us. Uh, and we're also uh, fully supporting uh, opening of of malting facilities locally as well, although we are also doing our own malting at our distillery at Copper Sea uh, in uh, West Park. It's is called Copper Sea Distilling. Copper Sea Distilling is our, is our uh, brand. And you're coming out. You're not out yet, though. It'll be a matter of days when our spirits will be available. Did you bring samples? I know. That's the important <laughs> Full disclosure. No, not. All right. My, my son went crowd. to college and he was my fraternity brother. But uh, cheers to Mike. Well, you'll hear more about it. You've been on before. He wrote a great white cheers paper. Cheers, brother Mike. Um, Copper Sea Distilling. When you, let us know when you guys are out there and where we can buy you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And June, what do you think about a, a, a New York State distillery that's buying only local grains? That's kind of cool, right? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, of course, it's terrific. I'm curious, what have you, are you using a corn that you, are you doing a bourbon or? We will do a, a corn whiskey. We've got some corn from Michael Paul's farm, uh, which is, I think, up the road from us towards Kingston. And I can see you going there, just, you just gather the grain and carry it in your hands and you make a small batch. Uh, it's a little, little more volume than that. Yeah. Uh, you know. Well, I, I want to, once again, give credit to uh, June Russell from Grow NYC. On your Vimeo channel, you guys have an awesome local grain video, and it really shows you what we're talking about. You got to check it out again. What's What's the website? G- G- Thanks. It's called uh, uh, Well, it's at GrowMyC.org, and you'll see a link up in the top right corner for the Vimeo channel, and and you'll see the video up and there. And with this video, definitely video can teach you more than radio. I mean, I, I watched the video this afternoon, and it's just showing the little steps that a farmer or, or grain processor has to take to take that grain that's in the field to something you can actually use in, in beer or distilling. You know? it, it also brings together, you know, the whole picture of, you know, the growers, you know, the processing facilities and the consumer and how the consumer accesses these and that, you know, makes a great circle. Kelly Taylor, Kelso, one of the last things I want to ask you is, if you could buy all your grain locally, would you? Or do you feel like you want more diversity uh, from what's offered around the world? Well, that, you know that's a good question because, uh, to a certain degree, price does pay uh, play a uh, major role in the whole thing. And uh, the local grain that we've been able to uh, secure up to this point has been rather expensive um, on a dollars per pound basis. Though, uh, I, I think that we could, we would definitely 
it's not a matter of different varieties. If I can get smoked malt, if I can get uh, unmalted wheat, malted wheat, uh, caramel uh, grains in a certain uh, color threshold, if I can get the, the malt that I want, I'll buy it. And and the incremental cost really is a negligible thing in the brewing operation, um, because uh, you know especially when you start to figure in uh, how it'll benefit the economy and the, and the whole thing. It's like what the keg's going to be a, a few dollars more. You know, it's not that big a deal. And, and, and there's a real growing interest and commitment to local purchasing. You know, the, the National Grocery Association came out with a study this year that for the first time ever, more than 50% of the purchasers are willing to pay more for local just because it's local, not related to quality, not related to um, cost, which typically is what a grocery store consumer is all about. So... That's one end of it. The other end of the spectrum is that when people really truly understand that the dollar spent for local products stays in their community, enhances the quality of their community, it, it's a win-win. So you're, you're inve- it's an investment, essentially, when you it buy is an local. Investment. And I 100% agree with that. And, and the problem that I, that, I have, that I would have is if, uh, if I'm doing a Pilsner, for example, which is my number one seller, and I am doing a pilsner, by the way. Um, if, I, if I'm doing a pilsner, and and the guy down the street's doing a pilsner, which he is, um, and I'm using local grain, and they're not, and I'm paying 100% more, which is with the current cost difference <laughs> right now, by the way. Um, if I'm going to use a, a pilsner malt, and it's 100% more than than the other one, and I've got a, a product that is it is more nuanced, but most people aren't looking for the nuance in that beer. They're looking for well, the nice big, and crisp. The big question is, can you charge it, more? I don't think I can charge as much to keep the competitive advantage the way that it is right now. But I'm also – I also – here's the thing. I also own a Prius, and I, I got a Prius because I know that if I invest in that infrastructure, I invest in that economy, the price will come down to the point that – It'll be affordable for everyone. I'll tell you what. On that note, we're, we're going to have to close up. But listen. If there's listen, more beer if here. You don't right close now, up. There's drinking. more beer. Wait, wait. It's not that, Kelly. Extend the show. Kelly, I'm doing a T-shirt giveaway right now. Oh, oh okay. If you're listening in and you're a fan of, of Kelso Beer and, and our show, if, if you Twitter us on at beer underscore sessions, the first person to Twitter and say, I want a Kelso T-shirt. But the question is, would you pay more for a, 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 a Kelso Pilsner? That's using some local grains than you would for something else. I would. So somebody go out there, Twitter, tweet us now, tweet us now at beer underscore session and say, I want the Kelso T-shirt, and then we'll we'll tell your story next time, right, guys? We're going to have to close out soon. We had an awesome, awesome cast, Katie from Omegang. Hopefully you'll be down in New York. We can actually have you on the show. And thanks so much for calling in because that's probably the toughest job. She is but in New York, actually. She's awesome. I'd like yeah. to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com have helped to bring this show to you tonight. And also the Good Beer Seal. Good Beer Seal every summer does the July Good Beer Month. There's over 40 uh, small independently owned beer bars in New York, part of the GoodBeerSeal.com. I think we're expanding through Jersey and Long Island this year. So keep... Keep tuned to that. So there's some cool people that came on the show. Kelly and Sonia, June, Jennifer, Kate, and Mike Kinslick from Copper Sea Distilling. Thanks for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor, and our engineer, Joe Galarraga, Joe who makes every damn show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Yeah. 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.